Today's program has been brought to you by Underground Meats, an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Barry Isaac. <laughs> My name is Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts for this journey through all things fermented on Heritage Radio Network every Monday night live at 7 p.m. And if you don't catch us live at 7 p.m., you can catch us archived on iTunes and uh, at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Um, Mary, what's going on next week or in life? Next week? Well, November beer, beer 2nd. <laughs> is the Nas- the New York City Homebrewers Guild 25th anniversary party. It's basically a homebrew extravaganza at the Brooklyn Brewery. It's from 9 to 11.45. 9 to 11.45. Our curfew is 12.30, so we're, we're going to have a giant party at Brooklyn Brewery. It's going to feature all of the New York City uh, uh, homebrew clubs that are able to make it and share homebrew. It's basically going to be a, a, a homebrew beer festival um, in celebration of our 25th year as the Guild. Yep, there will be over, so far we have 60 different homebrews on this sheet, and there definitely will be at least 10, 15, 20, 25 more. Tickets are? $25 for 25 years. New York City Homebrewers Guild are going to serve 25 beers. And that will also net you a ticket, all you can taste, of excellent local homebrews, as well as our 25th anniversary gold rim Belgian tulip glass. And I'll be cheersing at least 25 times that night. Oh, undoubtedly, good lord. In multiples of 25 hugs goodbye, too. And then on November 5th, I am teaching my first alternative fermentation class at Brooklyn Homebrew. It's $40. I'm going to teach you how to culture your own kombucha from a bottle. We're going to talk about water kefir, whey fermented sodas, short meads, and all kinds of other alternative fermented beverages. So we'll put the link up on the webpage when I update it. But please go to Brooklyn Homebrew and uh, sign up for my alternate fermentation class on November 5th if you're interested in learning more. But that's all local stuff. So for the rest of you, uh, homebrewers and people alike, uh, our first guest today is from Yeast Laboratories. Greg Doss, how are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well, Chris. It's Mary, really- how are you guys doing? Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Did you, did you make it to GABF as well this weekend? You know, I did not make it. This is the first year I haven't made it in, uh, I think, the last... Six, five or six have been out there. Um, but uh, we had a couple other people go, and uh, I had some stuff going on around here. So I uh, did not make it out. Did you guys make it? That's why you're coherent right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll use that term loosely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, we did not make it. No, there's stuff stuff here to be, be going on. We actually enjoyed ourselves at the Brooklyn Poor, a local homebrew festival, and we've represented uh, ourselves here, did a talk on, on, on brewing in small spaces. Yep. Oh, nice. Oh, very cool. That was very fun. To brew in small spaces, you always need yeast. Greg Doss, you are the quality control manager uh, and and microbiologist. Microbiologist. It's a long word for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys have a private collection, which we've talked about before, but you have three pretty exciting special releases that just came out, I guess, last week, right? The beginning of October? Uh, it did, yeah. It did. Uh, this is our fourth quarter. Um and we've got two strains that have been on 
in the past, and that's 1768 English uh, special bidder, uh, and a 3726 farmhouse. And so we have we have uh, issued those or released those in the past. Uh, this this uh, quarter we also have our 1217 West Coast IPA, and this is the first time releasing this strain. Great. So tell us a little bit about West Coast IPA. Why? What makes that strain special for for real sure. happy beers? Sure. Well, you know, it, it's actually a pretty versatile strain, uh, and it can be used in, in darker beers as well. But, uh, you know, what makes it real nice for, for IPA is that it doesn't really get in the way of the hops. And so it's a fairly clean fermentation. It still is an English strain uh, and has medium to you know, medium-high flocculation. Uh, but it, it definitely keeps kind of the British character uh, subdued and doesn't really get in the way of, of bringing out those nice citrusy notes that you may want in an IPA. So if you were to compare that to 1056, yeah. you would call it a little bit fruitier? Uh, I'd, I'd call it a little more fruity and definitely a little more flocculent. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely and a little bit more, but uh, a little bit more flocculent. And so, uh, you know, I, I really compare it to uh, 1098, which is our British uh, strain, and uh, a strain that I use a lot, actually. And uh, I, I like it in an IPA. It's, it also is a versatile strain, but um, I think I prefer that in kind of a darker beer um, whether it's a porter stout, uh, brown, it really kind of brings out the mall characters. Um, uh, this twelve seventeen is kind of along those lines. It will work with those those darker beers and and malt, but it doesn't interfere with the hops, and that's what makes it you know really nice for you know kind of a wide range of beers, uh, and and really nice in a uh, in an IPA where you're, you may be wanting just a little more fruit or a little bit of yeast character uh, to come you know, with those with the hops. Right, all right. What uh, what would you recommend, or what what temperature does it ferment out at? You know, we I think we've got sixty two to um, seventy four. You know, with uh, a lot of these strains, I'll run them uh, at sixty two to sixty four for the first you know forty eight hours or so, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm looking for about thirty percent attenuation. Then after that, you figure majority of, of growth and kind of the these byproducts are um, are done, and, and really after that you're looking for fermentation. So then I'll boost that up to 68 to 70 to finish it out, and, and that way, you know, that's I guess that's kind of my personal um, fermentation profile right now that I've been running. Um, but I, I like a cleaner style beer, and that way um, you're you're subduing those yeast byproducts yet. Um, um, really get in a nice, uh, strong fermentation and um, uh, attenuation in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the English Special Bitter Ale. Uh-huh. You said you guys yeah. have had this out before, but what do you recommend? What makes that different from some of the other English ales that you guys have? Like sure. the 1968. Too. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's probably the, the strain that would be um, most similar to. It's a little less flocculent than 1968. Um, you know, and I, I think this brings out a little more of a nutty quality and maybe... Maybe a little more complexity than the 1968. Um, you know, 1968 is a fantastic strain, and, and in fact, it can it can also be used in a wide variety of beers. Um, you know, really, what people are looking for when they're using that strain is something that's going to really drop right mm-hmm. um, quickly. And um, this this strain is kind of along those lines, but I think that it adds a little more complexity, maybe a little more um, nuttiness, and, and um, it, it, it's nice and. In an ESB, uh, if you're looking for that kind of maltiness to come through, um, but as well, uh, this is something that I'd probably push uh, into darker beers as well. 
So some English browns. Oh, brown would be fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brown stouts, porters. And then lastly, your farmhouse ale, the thirty-seven twenty-six. So what yeah. what makes this one different then? So if I was going to make a saison, either a French or Belgian style saison, why would I choose this farmhouse ale yeast over the other ones that are currently sure, available? Sure, sure. So uh, so some of our other strains, uh, we've got our thirty-seven uh, eleven French saison, thirty-seven twenty-four. Um, boy, I think it's just called Belgian saison, and that mm-hmm. has origins of Dupont, and so. 3724 is really a finicky strain. It, it, it has a, a very um, a unique profile that you really can't get with any other strain, but at the same time, it, it's really, really difficult to work with. And as a lot of people um, that, that have used it know that it will uh, attenuate to about um, you know, 50 to 60% and then seemingly stop. Uh, it will continue to ferment, but at a very, very low Low rate. So what it does is it consumes the simple sugars pretty quickly, and then once it hits um, uh, maltose and, and certainly maltotriose, then it really starts to slow down. Uh, it will eventually attenuate and attenuate quite far. Actually, it's a very attenuated strain. Uh, it just takes um, you know weeks to get there. Uh, on the homebrew scale, it's it, uh, it is something that people can play around with. Um, on the commercial scale, I usually recommend somebody go with something else. Um, and uh, and you know some of the alternatives would be the 3711, which is um, what we call our French saison, mm-hmm. uh, a little more estuary, um, but a workhorse, and it will ferment right through. And then this 3726 that we're releasing right now for our private uh, collection um, uh, also will ferment like a typical ale strain. Um, I think it has a little uh, a little more ester uh, profile than 3711. Uh, and when I say ester, I'm probably pushing a little more to the isoamyl acetate, kind of the, uh, the banana, but uh, but not in a negative, not in a negative way. Um, it's um, it, it does have kind of an earthy uh, an earthy note that comes through as well, um, and uh, it, it's it's nice. It, it really is a, a nice trade play around with if you are making those on. What temperature would you recommend for these guys? This this has a pretty you know, wide threshold, right? Depending on where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would probably keep that around seventy degrees. You know, the lower end. We've got it. We've got it right now set at seventy to eighty four. And and all these strains, it's it's uh, you can ferment them above or below those. You know, that range that we get. This is just kind of where we find that you have the the nice the nicest uh, profile aroma, aroma and flavor profile. Um, but. I think I would run that probably at the 70 degree, probably on the lower end, and um, maybe not push too much ester, but you know, after it gets going, and, and maybe similar to what I was mentioning with, uh, uh, with the ale strain, the, the 1217, that I might start there, and then after 30 40% attenuation, then let it ramp up a little bit higher and finish, and finish out. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing with the strain that uh, is... Uh, is kind of interesting that you can see some some flotation, and this is this doesn't happen with all beers, but um, flotation meaning that you can get uh, a lot of yeast on the top of the beer, and maybe less actually inside. And so when you when you look at say a, a glass carboy, you may see a somewhat clear uh, beer and a big yeast head on the top, and um, you know that can be alleviated with the use of um, fermentation depolymer. Okay. Or just, just some agitation. Mm-hmm. Shake it up, just kind of mix it up. 
Yeah, yeah, Maybe. exactly. Um, but it's uh, it's an interesting, uh, and it doesn't happen with all fermentations, but we hear from time to time that it does uh, kind of float on you, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's just uh, it's something that uh, it's something that you might see. You want to just encourage it to get those sugars that it's not in contact with and shake it up and get it back in suspension. Uh, exactly, just kind of break up that flock or uh, that cap. Um, but, um, but, yeah. I just uh, brewed a beer uh, with your with the Belgian saison yeast, and uh, and the, you know it did it did kind of stop in the middle, and it was August, so I took it out and put it in the hall, and it was getting reaching up to ninety degrees in my in the basement over at Five Way okay. Brewery, and then it then it just kicked ass all the way home, man. Oh, nice, very nice. <laughs> yeah. It was and how was it? How uh, the taste right? Uh, delicious. Yeah, it was great, and it had a lot of really nice nice esters and peppery peppery notes, and it was uh, it was uh, actually it was a, a rose hip and, and rosemary. Soft crack saison is what we called it because I made a soft crack uh, Belgian candy sugar where I infused rose hips into it. Uh, oh my! Goodness. And that uh, and threw that in there. It was very very lovely. Oh nice! And it's gone. It's gone. Well, actually, right. no, no. I have one. I have one keg left. I have one six, small <laughs> six still left. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to drink it, but it's it. It's around. Oh, very cool. Oh, so you did that in the brewery? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. But I'm I'm really excited. I'm definitely going to order. Uh, I'm going to order that American IPA strain. I'm very excited about that. I, uh-huh. I've never, so I have a big confession. I mean, I've been saying it, I guess, a little bit out there, but I've never made an IPA until I started working at 508 Gastro Brewery. Because <laughs> as a home brewer, like, you know, every, there, are, there are IPAs around there. It's a very popular style to make. And I never find myself, found myself in, in want of an IPA without an IPA around, you know? And, sure. And now at the brewery, I have to, you know, I definitely want to have that as a, in, in, in the lineup or at least in rotation. Oh, uh, absolutely. absolutely. And, uh, so I'm still, I'm just on, I'm a, I'm a rookie with IPAs and learn a lot about it right now. <laughs> He's doing a good job, though. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no complaints yet. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Greg. And for those of you out there who have, please go to your local homebrew store or order from your homebrew online and look for these special collection strains. For They're going to be available October through December or as long as they last, depending. Um, so please, you know, take a, take a chance on some of these. They sound really, like really great strains. Yeah, Greg, how long can we expect these out there? generally three months? Uh, it is It is October, fourth quarter, okay. and so October through December, and then uh, starting in January, we will be releasing uh, the first quarter of 2014. Yeah. And hopefully we'll talk But I know to some of then. these go fast. I mean, I think that Farmhouse Ale, just because a lot of people really have had, you know, have trouble, they're a little intimidated by, by your Belgian Saison yeast, the DuPont strain. Um, uh-huh. And sure. so I think that's, I know that that, I... That goes pretty quickly at our local homebrew store. So get them <laughs> yeah. while you can, for sure. Well, we've had we've had a we've had a real nice response um, with this quarter's release, and uh, I'm actually kind of scrambling to to catch up with demand right now. So it's been it's been great. I think uh, we're going to be um, you know sampling some really nice beers that are coming off of these, these strains. Absolutely. Thank you again. Um, yeah, all right. Greg, thank you well, so much. We'll see you soon, man. I hope. Ab- absolutely. I look forward to seeing you guys next time. I'm <laughs> sure we'll run into you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> As it happens. <laughs> so, all right, Chris and Mary, thanks for the time. Cheers, yeah, Greg. Thanks, thanks Greg. Uh, we're going to take a small break. When we come back on Ferment About, we have Josh Bernstein in the house. How you doing, Josh? Making it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Ferment About it over here. <laughs>
Underground Meats is an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. They use small farms from southwest Wisconsin to source their meat. The animals are raised on pasture for their entire lives by farmers who care about animal welfare. While Underground Meats uses European traditions, they also use ingredients from the upper Midwest to try to create new types of salamis, experimenting with both ingredients and techniques. The salamis are made using heritage breeds, mostly red wattles, tamworths, berkshires, and mule foots. Try their award-winning cured pork shoulder and goat salami. To learn more and purchase products, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Welcome back to Foment About, about it. it on Heritage Radio Network. org. <laughs> so the first part of the um, show, we were talking to Greg Doss about the Y Yeast's special collection strain releases for October through December. The private collections, right? Yeah, oh. the private collection. And... Uh, and now we're very fortunate to have Josh Bernstein just off a whirlwind GABF book tour TV yeah, appearance. Some I call it a, some some people call it a bender. <laughs> Except when you write about beer and it's work, <laughs> right? It's research and development. So if you don't know Josh Bernstein, he is actually you are my favorite beer writer. Oh, I thank I have you, Mary. A, it's hard because there's there are some very good writers, but you commonly write for Imbibe. You have two books out. Your second book just came out, the Complete yeah. Beer Course, and then you also lead some absolutely wonderful homebrew tours here Indeed, in New York yeah. City. Yeah, it's try well rounded. You know, writing is a very alienating thing when you're back home by yourself with your dog, largely <laughs> working pantsless in your apartment at home. And so it's good to actually have this balance about when I couldn't just be the beer writer that drinks alone with a dog by himself. That's like a very lonely story. <laughs> so all the uh, so all the uh, homebrew tours really they're fun to get out. And the homebrew tours, in case you haven't heard about them, the basic idea is that some of the best beer being made is in people's homes, as you well know. But you're not often getting a chance to taste it. It's usually your friend or a friend of friend that's doing it. So in this case, you uh, set up a, a route of three different uh, home brewers, and then we go to each home one after the other, and you sign up and you buy a ticket. But you don't really know where you're going to go. You just know where you're going to start. You have no idea who you're going to be with. And so the tour attracts everyone from Goldman Sachs bankers on down to lesbian couples on a date. And so it's this really great cross-section where... Everyone's really there for beer, and it just shows that beer is this great um, common denominator that it cuts through everything else, it cuts across social classes, it makes everyone get along, and beer makes you talkative, and beer makes you happy. Exactly. Beer is the, the lubricant for social intercourse. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> and other kinds. Why is that there? I think the great thing about your homebrew tour is because Chris and I have both been on either by our individually or together yes yeah. um, is that since it's New York City you always pick a neighborhood or kind of yep. two adjacent neighborhoods and you can do everything either by walking or or with train or bus yeah or the minimum of a with a minimum of mass transit the idea is just that on a typical Saturday you're not going to maybe go to the Upper East Side you're not going to go to Williamsburg you're not going to go to Bushwick you're not going to go to the Bronx so it really forces you to kind of get outside of your shell and it forces you to really go out and uh, check out new neighborhoods so A you get to meet home brewers drink fantastic beer but you also get to think about New York City in a different way. And I think New York City, you tend to get caught in ruts and get caught in circles, especially in the weekend yeah. when you tend to 
stick around your neighborhood a bit more and you're like, I just want to go down and get a coffee, get a slice right. of pizza and not have a long, hard week. And so the Homebird Tour, like one of my favorite ones, we start off on Roosevelt Island. And for the listeners, Roosevelt Island is caught between Manhattan and Queens. It used to be where they had, I think it was smallpox patients back yes. in the... Uh, and I that's where the Spider-Man tram takes you. The Spider-Man tram. Oh, right. So the idea was start on Roosevelt Island. Like most New Yorkers would not go to Roosevelt right. Island because it's really tough to get to. But we started there, had some fantastic beer, and then we all rode the tram together to the Upper that's East awesome. Side. And so it was just this quintessential New York experience, like going to the Empire State Building, Rockefeller Center, that you maybe not would do because you're like, ugh, I don't want to do it. I'll be here forever. But we're not all here forever. Yeah. Right. I also love that because I met several people who who, who met me from that mm-hmm. from a couple of those tours um, who weren't brewing then but then uh-huh. did brew and I think it was really eye-opening for a lot of people who thought they couldn't brew in small spaces or, or less yeah, spaces I think it, it, cut, it kind of demystified the art of yeah. of, of homebrewing it cuts, yeah it cuts two ways you have A there's homebrewers on there that I've, I almost want to start this alumni club of homebrewers have been on the, uh, the homebrew <laughs> yes. tour that have gone on awesome. <laughs> that have gone on to start their own breweries like uh, for instance Rich uh, you see that up at Single Cut in oh, Queens yeah. who's originally on my homebrew tour um Josh Fields. I was John, on that one. I know. Yeah. Josh Fields, John Connor opened up Connor Fields in Oregon, and then now we have Finback Brewery opening oh, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just one thing after the next. And, and Chris Prout. Is Chris gonna Prout going to be Dirk the Norseman. Yeah. So it's great to watch all this evolution, but it's also on the tour. I would say only you know, it's only maybe about of the thirty people on there, maybe only between like five and fifteen at the most are home brewers. But you know, you watch everyone see that happen and how great it is, and the sharing and the community aspect that makes them really want to. One homebrew as well. Yeah, I think I this kind of thing is one of the things that makes your writing so great. You seem very in touch with the people. You're not you're not from any one particular angle, and you have seems like um, you just have a lot with that. And so this book that you recently wrote uh-huh. called The Complete Beer Course is to a target audience of. Oh, we got to do that. Let's see. <laughs> we, got, we got a few minutes on here. So, you know, basically when I was uh, traveling around with my first book, Brewed Awakening, which is kind of the story of the American craft beer and how it's really been changing the way the America drinks and in turn influencing the world, the more I was touring with that book and traveling, I realized that we kind of get caught in craft beer bubbles. And by that, I mean right. that we don't really, um, that we're kind of surrounded by people that know what an IPA is, know what a double IPA is, know what an imperial stout is, and all these things. But... That's still only 7% of America. Even within that 7% of people that understand um, like what those things are, there tends to be a loss of like the basic styles, which homebrewers are pretty well versed in, like Kohlschall beers, but most of America, when the beers don't really have these giant fireworks surrounding it, it's really tough for people to get in because it's almost you almost need that 180 experience like an IPA will do where it's an elemental flavor. You have that bitterness when the core, um, the core human taste, and you're like, wow, I, couldn't, I didn't realize beer could be like this. And so um, I think people go, it's human nature to want more, to want more chocolate, to want like another double cheeseburger, another side of fries, to want more bigger fatty, like just giant flavors. And so the idea, but there there can be beauty and nuance. And so that's what I kind of want to do is show the continuum of beer and how we start with, um, in a way, almost go from uh, light to dark. By that, I mean, we start in Pilsner's Lagers and kind of work our way up through um, Abbey Ale's with beers and then end up with the imperial stouts and like wild yeast those beers and talk about the styles evolution over time ground it in modern day provide real world examples and also basically the like in a sentence which i've gone over more than a sentence right now <laughs> no, that's fully right. cognizant of that what we're but, here uh, for, hey? in a sense i want to provide uh people with the tools to walk into any beer store bar um brewery and understand everything on tap from pilsners to gozas to those imperial stouts and so it's just arming people with knowledge and just um cutting through the mystery yeah it's like, I mean, if you have to classify stuff, 
mm-hmm. you know, it's good to have a guide and know where it is. Like, you mm-hmm. know, all music doesn't fit into one genre or category. No, and the same I... thing with beers. But but having these categories, whether you believe in them or not, as as an artist, I mean, if, if you I mean, if you want to, if you have, if you hear a melody or yeah. d- d- or think of a flavor, you just want to make that flavor, no matter where it falls in with the style guidelines. But those styles are there in order to guide yeah. the 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 reader or the listener. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the drinker. Yeah. Or the listener. That's one of my big things I was trying to talk about, and there I think I wrote in the book that I, I try I treat styles kind of like an elastic waistband that can kind of stretch to encompass a wide variety because I think that nothing is going to fit neatly in these parameters not everything is going to fit the BJCP guidelines but you need a starting point and you need a framework to understand why things bounce off from there and so you just can't you can have fusion but you need to know where the fusion begins and so and I think that's what you know, there's a lot of talk about styles, utility of styles with everyone being so innovative but I, I mean you just need some basic sort of grounding to understand if you're calling this like a stout, like why, like a like a blueberry, like a blueberry chipotle stout, like what does that mean? <laughs> but where does it start? And like where did that begin? And how does it go from there? And so I think I'm not saying that things need to fit in neat boxes, but you need to know like why the box exists in the first place. Yeah, I agree. And I think so. One, so I took the BJCP uh-huh. courses when I first started homebrewing back in 2006 and took the exam, and I loved it. But I carried, you know, those before our iPhones, I carried those guidelines with me everywhere. And I wish that I could have had your book mm-hmm. because I. I learned a lot. I think I trained my palate, and I just mm-hmm. gave myself. I mean, I ended up, you know, within a year or so, brewing nothing but bizarro beers that uh-huh. didn't fit any BJCP <laughs> style guideline. But it was just great to learn kind of the basic styles, the basic framework of flavors mm-hmm. and aromas, and you know, yeast character and hop character. But I think it's important to have your book. Really gives people a sense of place. Mm-hmm. I think learning the history of a style and how it's evolved over time, and you know, where it comes from as far as. Um, you know, even when it's jumped across oceans mm-hmm. or whatever, I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Even when you're just developing your palate and thinking about flavors and aromas, just knowing the history gives it more of a sense of place. Yeah, and you know, like I try to treat, you know, history can be boring for a lot of people, and I fully understand that. I know it is. I but love it. <laughs> I know, but I think the challenge for me was taking these styles and making them come alive and making them come alive in a way and not, I mean, I'll be honest, you could write an entire book about IPA, and Mitch yep. Steele has written an entire book about IPA, but for the average drinker going into it, they just want to know why things are, how they go from there, and how they how they start, and how they led to there, why things are bitter, you know? Yeah. It's funny, you know, I just did a, a tasting, was it last week, and someone's like, so what are hops? And, you know, it just goes back to that even within beer drinkers, there's a lack of basic understanding that I think oftentimes it's just you don't ask these questions yourself. If you get really dive into it, you really want to know, like, about the yeast strain, how they really mutate flavors, that yeast is 90% of flavor in the beer, how the water impacts it. But I think, um, you know, this needs to go back to the core for a lot of people that there's just... I think beer, when you first start drinking it, it's just beer. And it's just, it's not, it's not the ingredients in there. It's not, I think we learn to cook dinner better than we learn to make beer, mm-hmm. what bitter beer is all about, that we know, that we know mac and cheese needs all these different things to go in there and how to make a hamburger with a hot dog, I mean, sorry, with a, with a bun on there. And like, it's just, uh, but with beer, there's just not really that, you don't, you're not trained from a younger age. And beer is almost treated as this thing you're, you know, you're supposed, it's like, like in the box on top, it's like your Christmas present, the thing you want to get, but you can't always get Right. When you're a younger kid, then when you finally drink the beer, you just like get. I mean, you're you're twenty, twenty one, nineteen, eighteen, and you just want to get drunk. Yep. And you don't care, and so it takes a lot of like it takes personal searching, which doesn't always happen until later on. That's true. And I think, well, I, I this is my own soundbite that mm-hmm. I, I quote myself on all the time. I guess you know there are two kinds of beer: good beer and the other kind. Uh-huh. But once you find that kind, the other kind or the kind that you don't like, uh-huh. it's important to kind of find out or put put language to it and, and define that so that you don't. 
choose that beer again at the bar so you can continue to drink the beer that you like. I mean, that's why we had, that's why these styles. Well, and you can communicate that to your bartender, right. too, uh-huh. right? Exactly. Developing your language. Yeah, I think that's goes on. You know, like, I'm very careful never to really, you know, there is nothing like, a Coors Light's an incredibly well-made beer. I mean, if a home brewer were to try to make a Coors Light, you're like, you're yeah. like, hey, Bob, why don't you go back in the garage and make me a Coors Light? I mean, it's... Very it's difficult. Pretty, but the quality of the skill, but it's a, it's like almost like the pellet gun mentality where you just kind of shoot like buckshot, like hitting as many things as possible, as many drinkers as possible. And so I think I, I'm very careful never to badmouth that because I grew up drinking stuff like that, as a lot of a lot of listeners did. But I, then, honestly, I still enjoy one once more. You so, know what? We got yeah. 95 degrees of Coney Island. I, I mean, it's gonna all you want, all you want. Something. We were just in Mexico and. Yeah, those light lagers work yeah, very Boeing, well. Boeing for my favorite. <laughs> Bohemia is a beautiful. It's actually a beautiful pilsner. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. something that. And so I think that's what goes back to. But I think it's just learning the flavors you like and being able to articulate them. And that's where that's what beer offers you is the ability to have these easily understandable flavors. Like, you know, you could say I like chocolate, I like coffee, I like bitter, I like sweet, and then the bartender can really build off of that. But it's all mm-hmm. about understanding what your palate is like. And I think. The other big thing I always try to talk to people about is just that I can tell you a million things, that what I like, and everyone's like, what's your favorite beer? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> right, what day of the week is it? What time of day is it? It's like, what season is it? But uh, it's just what I tell them is wrong for their taste buds because everyone's taste buds are unique. And, you know, people like Thai food. Some people think Thai food's too spicy. Some people want more spice in their Thai food. And so it's just all about what your, what your palate adores. And you can train your palate within that, but there's also, I think, like we're talking, going back to basic understanding why that flavor is there. And of course, it's delicate, fruity, light. It's not a bad thing because it's not an IPA. Right. When I think, I mean, we all think about, oh, what do you want? You know, when Chris and I think about, oh, what do you want for dinner? We're going to go out for dinner. What do you want for dinner? Oh, what do you want? We never, you never feel like the same thing. I don't want to mm-hmm. eat a hamburger or pizza or Thai food seven nights of the week. Mm-hmm. So this, the same is true with beer. Even yeah. if you have a favorite style or styles, mm-hmm. you're still going to shake it up. I mean, you're never... So I think the more information that you have, Mm -hmm. the better off you are. And that's why this book is so freaking awesome. And it's beautiful. (laughs) No, it's It's true, though. So here's the thing. No, because, you know, I did the Uh, BJCP. I'm a national uh judge. I've, you know, we... um, You know, I love... Mm-hmm. reading about beer and learning about beer <laughs> but your book is is actually excellent and that's so the one thing when i read this mm-hmm. is i was like oh man there has to be you know those book clubs that mm-hmm. read and this is ideal for that because you could do a chapter with a group of your friends uh-huh. get some of the examples and go through them i mean it would just i don't know it was like meant for that yeah and one of my friends like not that I'm advocating Christmas gift, but of course I want my daughter to be to have diapers. <laughs> but uh, you know, they were saying that you could you know give someone a gift for the book, then have like beers featured in the book, then it's kind of like the best gift ever. Where oh, yeah. it's like it's like you know not another tie, not another something like that, not another whatever. But you know, it's a gift people actually use and yeah. enjoy. So, but I did. I, so. I mean, I read this cover to cover. Oh, since thank I you. Reviewed it for a magazine, but um, a magazine but, to be named later. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I actually was very very. I mean, it's. First of all, it's extremely readable, and it's thorough. I love it that you do with you know the traditional styles that we all know and love, mm-hmm. like Pilsner and Kolsch. Oh. But then you also have Ghosts in there, and yeah. some of the newer styles. I think. I mean, that's where that's where beer is going. Coming off the JBF over the weekend, I mean, if you walk around, you're like, it still saison's going gangbusters. Pumpkin, pumpkin, well, pumpkin it's goes up, goes yeah. up, goes a Berliner Weiss and Brett beers, Brett beers. I mean, I can't yeah. even tell you oh, how yeah. many Brett beers I had. You know, which is just such a, because everyone thinks, not everyone, not these listeners, but a lot of people think Brett equals sour. I think that's kind of one of the things that has been kind of, um, you know, it's not misinformation, but it's just you can only communicate so much to drinkers. It's right. kind of and a misperception, it, I yeah. think. 
so in there, but Brett beers are just going to go gangbusters right now. I really see a lot of growth and possibility in there. They're, they're not, they're not. Ev- I think some of the best ones I had were not events in your mouth. They're just like it's like another um, flavor profile, mm-hmm. and not something like an incredibly like tart like a Flanders Red. That's something that's going to like scrape the enamel off your teeth. Right. So you could have sessionable Brett beers. You can. I mean, we're seeing <laughs> that. It's kind of you know. I mean, add sessionable to everything. It's like getting a fortune cookie. It's like add between the sheets at the end of it. And on that note, we're going to wrap up tonight's show. So thanks a ton to Greg Doss of Y Yeast and Josh Bernstein, author of his most author of the Complete Beer Course, is his most recent book. Where can I find it? Oh, you can find it at better bookstores across the country, Amazon, Barnes Noble, and your favorite independent bookstore, and uh, oftentimes your homebrew shop and breweries as well. And you can find me at joshuambernstein.com as well. And you have some book signings and, and other things coming up, I know. Oh my gosh, do I? I just came off the JBF, so I'm trying to think. I literally got off the plane like maybe 24 hours ago. Uh, what have I got coming up? I'm going to be at Captain Lawrence on the 26th, provided we don't have our baby before then. And then uh, I'll be in 22nd in Philly. I need to remember the place on there the brew well, you I have can, a list on your, your website very nice. joshua and birdstein.com everything's yes. up to date on and there if you already think you know all the stuff in the book then get it for a friend because it's an awesome book and I, I guarantee you're not going to know everything there was stuff i didn't know in there i mean uh, not that i know everything but uh, it's very thorough uh, the only that's what i pretend like you know sometimes i get quizzed and i go out and about people are like what about this brewery you've been to this and i'm like you know what i'm like i firmly admit i'm five foot 445 pounds i cannot drink everything <laughs> I will and, try to over the course of my day. And Americans <laughs> making more beer than they ever have before, ever, <laughs> since pre- pre-prohibition. We need more breweries now. That's so exciting right now. 2,500 awesome. plus as far as, and 1,600 plus in planning. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just in New York City alone, we have at least like, you know, 10, 12 more oh, coming yeah. online yep. in the next year. And so, crazy times, but good times, best times. <laughs> a thousand cheers. Foment about it over yes. here. Foment about Talk it. To you next week. We're, it's the Cider, Cider Week. Show. Woo. Cider Show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.